When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. What's good, everybody? Welcome back to the 104.6 and 1 podcast. This is your host, your boy Kev. I'm out here making episode 17. Um, first and foremost, I wanted to apologize. I was supposed to come out and make episode 17 this past weekend. Uh, I got tied up in a couple of other things um, between recording an episode with uh, Kyle for his podcast. Shout out to the Homefield Podcast. If you're not already following, go through and, you know, Give it a follow, give it a shout, give it a listen. Great, available on all Anchor um, streaming sites, just not streaming sites, but all streaming platforms like mine. Um, I believe it's also Spotify, Apple Music, and so on and so forth. Give it a listen if you already haven't. Uh, I was recording an episode with Kyle, and then, you know, between watching some other sporting events like the Gator game, and then, you know, spending time with the misses and whatnot, I just, I don't know, priorities got a little mixed up, and I do apologize for that. I know I said I was going to. I was actually going to talk about the MVP conversation. I know it's early, and by MVP, I mean in reference to the NFL. I was going to try to do some maybe some pre-quarter MVP voting roundups. And then I saw Sunday's matchups and Sunday's games, which is what I'm going to get into right away. And uh, I, wasn't, I wasn't exactly too keen on some of the ones that I were going to, was going to talk about. So, I mean, I'm just going to kind of dive right into the, the, the matchups of this past weekend. And I, I'm going to start backwards. I was talking to Kyle, obviously, and we were recording our episode, and we got in pretty decent depth in re- in regards to the uh, the Chiefs and the Ravens game. I made a terrible prediction, and I'm actually thankful that Kyle didn't wasn't able to post the episode. Unfortunately, there were some technical difficulties with the audio, so that episode is therefore postponed. We are planned to record tomorrow, so um, stay tuned for that. I'll make sure to uh, link that in the bio as well, and make sure that you guys are all aware. But like I was saying, we kind of prepped for that that game. We really talked, and I, I was really keen on the Ravens coming in there and and really shutting the Chiefs down. And I don't mean shutting them out. I mean just you know putting the beat on them, putting some pressure on them with the Chiefs struggling against the Chargers the week prior and Patty having to bring everybody back and then them winning the game. And with uh, that game-winning field goal, I, I really thought that Lamar and company were going to be ready to take on that, that, that role and uh, give the Chiefs a run for their money and... Little did I know, I actually had it reversed. The Chiefs ended up winning 34-20. to 20. I mean, the things that Patrick Mahomes was doing was just unnecessary. <laughs> 21 second quarter points. Patrick Mahomes ended with four touchdowns in the air and one on the ground. And the Ravens pretty much shut down the running game for the Chiefs. And I mean, like, Edwards Hilaire had 20 carries for 64 yards, no TDs. Patty had the only touchdown, with the, which was a quarterback scramble at the goal line. But, I mean, Patrick diced them up. Baltimore tried to run zone. Baltimore tried to blitz. Baltimore tried man. I, I, I can't really explain watching this man play football is something that I can't really put into words. And, I mean, mind you, I, I know I always get into depth in terms of, like, plays and skill set and whatnot but I mean if we're really looking into this right in my generation I grew up watching Tom Brady Peyton Manning Drew Brees the 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 tail end the middle to tail end of Brett Favre's career and I mean I was a little too young but Dan Marino I was at the end of his but I mean I've seen some greats and I mean I've seen the literal greatest play football and then you watch Patrick Mahomes do the things that he does and it's like Obviously, we know football is an actual game, but it takes such skill, precision, and and physical presence, and, you know, 
the mindset to go out there and do the things that he's doing, the greats couldn't do it. I mean, obviously you saw flashes of, you know, Brett Favre rolling out of the pocket and throwing it 70 yards down the field. Now, was it going to be completely accurate? I would say six out of 10 times, maybe. But that's why Brett Favre is the all-time interception leader in the NFL because he was a gamble man. But this guy, Pat Mahomes, if if he's pressed, pressured out of the pocket, if he's got to roll out for any type of play set, if he has to get that ball out of his hands and someone's open downfield, 30, 40, 50, even 60 yards, Pat gets there without really trying. It looks like it's effortless. Obviously, we know it's not. But, I mean, there was a specific play where he just rolled out and he found Hardman for a 49-yard strike rolling right, and he just flicked that shit, and it was perfect. And, I mean, he was getting blitzed from the middle linebacker and the corner position, and, I mean, like, he found a way to get out of there. The The running back picked up the blitz for one, but, but Pat had to kind of roll out and make a shifty play just to give him enough time, a split second, to get that toss, and it was it was a dime. Patrick just, he's got the arm strength, he's got the accuracy, he's got the vision, he's got the team around him, and you know, with a game like this, I know it's only week three, I, I, I truly and honestly understand, but a game like this against his only competition to most analysts, to most sports professionals, being the Ravens, and them handedly taking them out for the majority of that game, I really, I, you can't say anything, man. I mean, this, this, this guy's just a freak of nature. I mean, obviously no human being is worth half a billion dollars to play a game, but I mean, like you went and paid this man $454 million over the next 10 years and he puts up numbers like this, the Kansas City Chiefs front office is looking around like, obviously we went out there and made the right decision. Like, obviously we didn't, we went and, you know, signed the right guy. And on the defensive side, Chris Jones, two sacks. Overall, as a team, I think they had five. What is it? I got two from Chris. I got one from Neiman, one from Clark, so four. But, I mean, they were just all in Lamar's face yesterday. And Lamar is obviously one of the fastest players in the NFL at all positions. And they were just getting to him and getting to him and getting to him. And it's like people said. I, I, I know for a fact a lot of people have agreed with me. And a lot of people haven't. Lamar Jackson is just, I don't think he's ready for that big jump yet. I just, I mean, it showed last season in the postseason when Tennessee came out there and just stunned them. And he had to come from behind. And a lot of those yards and, the, and those touchdowns were in garbage time. But I mean, I believe I was listening to Shannon Sharp and Skip Bayless this morning on uh, Undisputed. And Shannon made the point that Lamar Jackson is not a come-from-behind player. Lamar is one of those players that needs to dominate and control the lead and the speed and the tempo of the game. And when he does that and the running game is on point, they dominate. Patrick Mahomes, on the other hand, can play with the lead, can come from behind, can play in a shootout. It, it, it doesn't really make a difference. Yeah, their run game isn't exactly the scariest thing in the world, but if Patty's dishing the way that he's doing it right now, there's no stopping the Chiefs. The Ravens were pressured right off the bat. It was 20, 27 to 10 at half. And in that moment, you can see that Lamar just, just wasn't ready. I mean, look at the number. He only had 97 yards passing yesterday. He almost had more yards on the ground than he did in the air. He had 83 yards rushing. Yes, he is a dynamic player. Yes, he is incredible to watch. He's electric. He's fun. But when it comes to overall talent, I think Patrick really has him beat. And it comes back to that goddamn NFL rankings list that came out last year or, or a couple of months ago where they said Patrick was fourth best in the league. Matchups like this really show that I was right, and a lot of other people were right. I don't care that the players voted for this. The players are ridiculously incompetent for voting a one-year wonder who, yes, stunned the league, broke the all-time rushing record for a quarterback in a season, yada, 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 all the passing touchdowns that he accumulated. But we have Patrick fucking Mahomes out here doing things like he did yesterday, breaking records like he has over the course of the last three seasons he's been in the league, are we going to sit here and really debate that he's not the best player in the league? There is no debate. Yesterday was it for me. Like I'm sorry. Like When you put 97 yards in four quarters and one touchdown, 
fine. He didn't have any turnovers. Okay, but he couldn't do it. The ball was in his hands. There were plenty of times that Baltimore defense got that Chiefs offense off the field. It was enough times for them to catch up. The Chiefs didn't score in the third quarter, and all Baltimore could musk was three points. I just, I just, I can't see Baltimore being the favorite to come out of the AFC. I can't see Baltimore being a favorite in any matchup against Kansas City. This match, this game was in Baltimore. Yes, there weren't a lot of fans or or any at all. I don't recall looking into the stands for whatever reason. I just wasn't paying attention, but it didn't make a difference. Patrick Mahomes is clearly the better quarterback. He's clearly the better player. And he's more prepared to do things like this. Obviously, his team is stacked. Lamar's got his own weapons. But it's the point. I just, I don't think they're ready. I know I started backwards. I just, I I had to get that off my chest. I know for a fact that that game was insane. And and it didn't live up to the height that I really thought it was going to. Again, I had Baltimore to win by two touchdowns. But I didn't think it was going to be that big of a, a gap so early. And like I said, 27 to 10 at half, it was just... It was wild. The Chiefs just steamrolled them. Everything they were doing, weren't a lot of miscues, weren't a lot of mishaps. It just, the Ravens got chewed up. And they need to get back to the drawing board and reevaluate. And they need to figure it out. Because if they think that they're going to make a run with this Chiefs offense running on all cylinders and that defense finding ways to contain the Ravens offense, if that AFC championship matchup is inevitable and it ends up happening, the Chiefs are going to win and I say this with the utmost respect for the Ravens because they are still a great football team. I think the Chiefs 8 out of 10 times roll. Like if this was a best out of 7 series, I'd say Kansas City wins that in 5 or 6 every time just because they're that much better, in my opinion. And I know, I know, what, you're saying, I know what you're thinking. If that's the case, Kev, why'd you pick the Ravens to win? Here's why. The Ravens have a very stout and consistent defense, right? The... LA Chargers held the Chiefs to under 10 or under under 14 points for such a long period of time in that last game. That was in LA. Uh, Patty didn't look, I don't know, as good as he did last night, that's for sure. And I just thought that maybe that, that Super Bowl hangover was eventually coming. I don't know, that maybe the rookie kind of threw him off the loop and Herbert really just played his ass off. I, I don't know. But then the Ravens were rolling through the, the, their first two weeks. And again, this is why you don't make predictions this early in the season because it doesn't doesn't really show you a lot to sample size. Like I talked about with Kyle on that episode that we didn't publish or post, um, there was no preseason this year. There wasn't a lot of OTAs. There wasn't really much of an off-season workout program. So, I mean, a lot of these teams are shaking off rust. A lot of these teams are just getting back in the groove. You know what I mean? Like, they're just now finding their identity. And for me making such a premature decision, I'm obviously eating my own shit (laughs) to not sugarcoat it, but I mean... The Chiefs just showed last night they are still the Super Bowl favorites, no matter who comes out of the NFC. And I mean, mind you, there are some good NFC teams out there. And I'll get into that with my next segment being the Packers and the Saints game. Now, once again, oh, no, actually, with this one, I actually called the Packers to win, but I called the Packers to win by two touchdowns. Once again, just me being the person that I am, you know what I mean? Just, I don't know. I, I, I don't think the Saints are the same right now. Something's wrong with them. I know Alvin Kamara's having a year, a, an insane year, having two fantasy leagues, zero regrets. But he's playing out of his mind, and the Saints are without Michael Thomas. That's a big piece. Their identity seems to be a little lost here. The Saints are one and two. They lost last week on primetime Monday Night Football to the uh, to the Las Vegas Raiders. And they went and lost in Sunday night primetime against the Green Bay Packers. Aaron Rodgers is out here saying, draft Jordan Love. Jordan who? All right, cool. Let me show you what I'm going to do with less. And they won that game without Devontae Adams. A-Rod went for 283 and three touchdowns, right? Drew Brees? I want to say, what, what did you? 288, three touchdowns. Almost identical, right? Something's wrong. They're not consistent enough there's just something that is not clicking in their heads something's a little I don't know the Saints don't look like the Saints the Saints that we all predicted to come out of the NFC South the way that I did yes Tampa is there but I just I don't know I saw Drew Brees coming out of that and going to the NFC championship without hesitation excuse me and again it's still only week three going into week four now but still it's scary to see a fan favorite, not a personal favorite. I'm not a Saints fan. Uh, shout out to Shay. But it is scary to see somebody that has not declined 
in the later years of his career and then suddenly just not play up to par. And, and again, it just the man only had seven incompletions, so it wasn't that Drew isn't playing efficiently. He's not really making those big plays downfield, those electrifying reads. You know what I mean? He's 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 doing a lot of checkdowns to Alvin, and I mean that could be in credit to Green Bay's defense. That could be in credit to the the Raiders' defense last week. I I don't really know, but it's uh, again, it, it's really difficult to put into words of what I'm really trying to say here. I just I feel like the Saints aren't the same team that we all thought they'd be, and Green Bay is just coming out here and stunning the world with Aaron obviously having the offseason that he did with the Packers going out and drafting a backup quarterback out of Utah State and Jordan Love with their first-round pick. And again, Devontae wasn't there, so they had to rely on Alan Lazard, who had six receptions for 146 yards and a touchdown. So, safe to say they didn't really miss him. You know, they didn't really miss Devontae. But again, if he was on that field, who knows? It might have been, it might, may have even been a worse game. The ground game wasn't anything impressive. I mean, Aaron Jones only had 69 yards and a rushing touchdown, so it wasn't anything spectacular or anything insane. But, again, I picked the Packers to win, so that wasn't exactly a surprise. The Buccaneers are doing what they were supposed to do. They steamrolled the Broncos 28-10. to I have Mike Evans in fantasy. Two receptions, two yards, two touchdowns, very efficient, and so on and so forth. So the Buccaneers are, you know, clicking. But, again, a dominant team going against a... Very unfound team. Drew Locke's not there. Cortland Sutton's not there. So that that team is kind of coming into its own. Philip Lindsay's not there. Melvin Gordon is eh. So I don't know what's going on in Denver. John Elway's got a lot to figure out. I'm pretty sure his backup, Dreskel, I don't know if he got knocked out of the game or pulled, but they ended up putting in another quarterback that I'm not aware of, and I think that that same quarterback is starting in week four. So Drew Locke needs to get healthy, and they need to figure out how to utilize Jerry Judy because you don't go out and draft Judy and then have garbage throwing to him. The Lions and Cardinals game, Kyler Murray was going to be one of my uh, sleeper MVP picks, and then he went out there and he struggled. He threw three interceptions to a Detroit Lions defense that isn't exactly known to create turnovers, but for whatever reason, he wasn't seeing the field very well. Mind you, I have Kyler Murray in fantasy. I know I say that a lot, and it's funny because I'm going through these games and I have quite a bit of players on these teams, and Kyler... Although talented with his feet, had that crazy rushing touchdown on the left side quarter in the end zone. That was insane. Um, he went for 270 and two touchdowns, and it just it didn't wow me. I think that they should have dominated this Detroit defense, knowing that Detroit was 0-2. They were home in Arizona, and they just, I don't know if they underestimated them. I don't know if they downplayed them. Matthew Stafford, a very efficient game for 270, two touchdowns on turnovers. Adrian Peterson... Getting a big bulk of the load here. Uh, very shocking. Uh, I don't know if Swift is hurt. One of their lot one lottery picks. One of their uh, rookie draft picks. Adrian Peterson's getting the big bulk. Carry on Johnson is a. I don't know if he's a thing of the past or something that's just not panning out. But I mean, they played very efficiently, and I believe that the uh, the Lions really had Arizona's number for the most part, and it was only with minuscule opportunities too. I believe they only had one sack. So it, it, it's very scary to see that Arizona struggled this early. But again, you know, could have been Russ. You know, Kyler couldn't be seeing the field maybe as well as he wanted to. I don't know. It, uh, again, that was a shock. Uh, Kyler had a, his first bad game of the year. It happens. I want to get into the Seahawks and Cowboys matchup, though. Russell Wilson, right behind Patrick Mahomes, is playing lights fucking out. I have Russell Wilson in fantasy in one league. So, yes, I'm very excited. Russell Wilson had 315 yards and five touchdowns. It should have been six if DK Metcalf wouldn't have been cocky and didn't catch that deep ball and then let up at the end zone. And Stephon Diggs' brother, I forget his first name, he pops the ball out at the one-yard line and it becomes a touchback. So, Russell <laughs> Russell should have six touchdowns on the day. Nevertheless, five is enough. Uh, again, no turnovers. Chris Carson ends up leaving, leaving that game with a, with a uh, knee sprain. Uh, I think the league is reviewing whether or not the offensive lineman, or should I say the defensive tackle that fell on him, should be fined for a dirty play. I believe from what I saw in slow-mo and in actual speed, it looked like he kind of, I don't know if he lost his balance. I don't know if he tripped on a foot. I, I, I really couldn't tell you. To me, it looked a little on the dirty side, if I'm being completely honest, because he could have fell in any way. He didn't have to fall directly on the back of his kneecap. But, you know, who am I? 
DK Metcalf once again going out there and showing that he can do it all. Uh, he had 110 yards for a touchdown, should have been two touchdowns. Tyler Lockett went out there for 100 yards even and three touchdowns. So the Seahawks offense is firing on all cylinders. They're doing what they need to do. And it, it, that, that, that's a scary team. That's who I picked out to come out of the NFC. And I think they're kind of holding to it. The Seahawks are doing everything they need to do. Uh, the only negative is their defense. Jamal Adams ended up leaving that game with an injury. I, I don't want to say knee or it was a lower leg injury. He was limping on the sideline. So I would assume it would be knee, ankle, quad, whatever, maybe cramps. I couldn't tell you. I'm not a doctor. But he ended up leaving that game. And this is going to end up catching up to them. And like I was saying to uh, my girlfriend's family or my girlfriend's dad, this won't hold because Russell eventually will have a bad game. It is inevitable. No one has a perfect season in terms of perfect quarterback play. So I think that Russell is going to need some help because he can't continue to put up these five touchdown games without something happening. You know what I mean? Like, obviously, an interception here doesn't make it a bad game, a fumble here. It's like the defense has to step up, and they have to hold them down, whoever they play. Mind you, this Dallas offense is nobody to sleep on. Dak Prescott had back-to-back back back weeks with over 450 passing yards. Two interceptions, mind you, but he had three touchdowns. Dak's also doing it on the ground. I know he had three rushing touchdowns last week. So this Cowboys defense is finding itself. It's doing what it needs to do. Offensively, they're rolling. But uh, again, that defense, I mean, look at this. Uh, look at this defense. 38 points to a Seattle offense obviously is hot and rolling, but you, you can't let up points like that. You can't let a quarterback dominate you as bad as they did. And Ezekiel Elliott, 2.4 yards a carry on 14 attempts and 34 yards? That's your $50 million man? I don't know. I think that they need to reevaluate also. He's got to do what he needs to do. And I don't think it's the, again, I don't think it's the offense because they're finding ways to score and come back even though it was against the Atlanta Falcons team for the win. And this Seahawks defense that has obviously blatantly been struggling. But the Cowboys are no sleeper. And they're still my favorite to come out of the NFC East. Because we all know it isn't going to be the Giants. You know, get get well soon, Saquon. I don't believe it's going to be the Eagles with the way that they're playing. Now, I could end up eating my words. They have a very solid coach and veteran leadership. And I'll get to that game in a second. I don't know if the Washington football team is going to be able to hold their own. Dwayne Haskins had a pretty bad game. I'll get into that in a second as well. But I have to transfer into, you know, my dogs, them killers, the NFL's number one ranked defense. Let me say that to you again. The Indianapolis Colts have the number one ranked total defense. So I'm going to get into it. 36-7 against the New York Jets. Mind you, I'm not excited that we beat the Jets. The Jets aren't exactly a dominating team. They're not exactly an intimidating force. They did have, I think, 11 total injuries, including Le'Veon Bell and a lot of their receiving core. So I'm not talking shit. But this is what you're supposed to do against bad football teams. You are supposed to dominate in every aspect of the word. You are supposed to annihilate. You are supposed to close it out. And we were home. The Colts had three total interceptions. Or four. Was it three? No, we had yeah three total interceptions. Xavier Rhodes had one pick six. Obviously, Xavier Rhodes had another interception in the end zone. And you just really go out there and you look at it like, wait a second. TJ Carey had another interception. I mean, I believe we only had one, two, yeah, two total sacks. So it wasn't like we were out there killing him. We were pressuring the quarterback for sure. Uh, shout out to my man Kenny Moore, my favorite Colt defender out there on the other side of the football. DeForest Buckner is creating hell out there. Darius Leonard doing what he had to do. And we just, we did what we needed to do. We conquered, we dominated both sides of the ball. Obviously, we didn't have any spectacular numbers. Phillip Rivers only had 217 yards and a touchdown. Jacoby Brissett came in in the fourth quarter, and he didn't really have to do anything but hand that ball off. Jonathan Taylor, only 59 yards. Jordan Wilkins, 39 yards. But the entire team as a whole did very well, very solid. Um, we do a lot of checkdowns due to our inconsistency at the wide receiver core. T.Y. Hilton, only 52 yards on Sunday. I have him in fantasy. I have a lot of friends coming at me on sideways with how bad he's producing. I don't know what's going on. I don't know if it's inconsistency to get open. I don't know if it's Phillips' unfamiliarity with the playbook. I, I couldn't tell you. But Phillip Rivers also does lead the NFL in completion percentage. At like I think it's like 74 point something or 75 point something, which is pretty cool. Um, Mo Ali Cox, he's come out of nowhere. 
technically our third tight end on the depth chart, usually in for run plays or goal line, just for blocking. And he's coming out there, and he's he's doing what he needs to do. He had over 100 yards last week, and he had 50 yards in the touchdown this week. Michael Pittman Jr. unfortunately ended up having lower leg surgery early this morning, and he's doing okay, but his return is uh, to be determined, his return to the field. Uh, Paris Campbell is opting to end it up. He is opting in to have surgery. There's no timetable for his return. So at the receiving core, we are looking very, very, very thin. We obviously are getting Trey Burton back this week, hopefully, uh, against his former team in the Chicago Bears. And then we obviously have uh, Jack Doyle. I don't believe he had any targets yesterday. I have him in fantasy. He got me a fat donut in two leagues. So... I don't know how we're doing these things, but when a defense is doing what it needs to do, and I believe we scored a total of 18 points yesterday because we had a safety thanks to Justin Houston, and we had two pick sixes. So, I mean, we're we're, we're, we're doing what we need to do. You know, we dominated a weak team, and we're 2-1 in the division. So, I'm excited. A, a lot to look forward to, but again, offense needs to figure out what's going on because uh, when we play better opponents, we're not going to dominate that well defensively as well. I'm going to not really get into the the Panthers game. I'm not going to get into the Titans game. I don't really care for the Browns game or the Steelers game. I want to skip ahead, right? No disrespect to any of those teams. It's just I don't really care for them. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not trying to have a full NFL coverage or a full NFL recap just because, one, I don't want to go two hours every episode, and two, I just... I'm not trying to make a podcast to do what ESPN already does. I'm trying to find points and games that were interesting to me that I want to point out to others. So I'm diving into this Bills-Rams game that ended up becoming a shootout late in the fourth quarter, and the Bills held on to win 35-32. This high-powered Rams offense ended up coming back from a big deficit, and they ended up scoring 15 and excuse me, 14 points in the third and 15 points in the fourth to cut it to three, and Buffalo scores pretty much as time expires. Jared Goff... 321, two touchdowns and a pick. Daryl Henderson, their third string running back, looked to go and have a great game. He had 114 yards on the ground and a touchdown. I mean, Cooper Cup is showing that he's worth every penny. He went out there and he had nine receptions for 107 yards and a TD. But I mean, what I'm really trying to get into is this St. Louis. I'm so I have the habit. I'm so sorry to call him the St. Louis Rams. This Saint again, Jesus. This LA Rams team has some studs on the defensive end that they are just not playing to par. And namely, Jordan Ramsey, Mr. $100 million man. Aaron Donald's doing his what he has to do. He had two sacks. What more do you want from a defensive tackle that lines up all over the field or lines up all over the line and plays almost every snap? You know what I mean? Like, what what are we doing here? I don't even see Jalen had one tackle. And the receiving core for the Bills went off. Cole Beasley, a slot receiver, had over 100 yards. Gabriel Davis, don't even know who he is, had 81 yards. Stephon Diggs, 49. Devin Singletary, a running back, 50 yards. Josh Allen had a total of 311 yards and four friggin' touchdowns. Devin Singletary on the ground also had 71 rushing yards. So the Rams defense, once again, these high-powered, high-offensive, efficient teams in the NFL. The Packers, the Rams, the Saints, are all the Seahawks, the Cowboys, are showing that if this league is going to be nothing but shootouts, it furthers my point that I've always said defense wins championships. And if we're going to continue to come out here and dominate the ball and score 30-plus points a game, it's going to be a matter of, Who's going to lock up? Who's going to create a turnover? Who's going to create a a play on the other side of the football? Now, the Bills are a very surprising team for me to show that they're out here and they're 3-0 and and they lead the AFC East. Obviously, the Patriots are 2-1 right behind them, but for Bills Mafia to be leading the division and handedly the way that they are and efficiently on offense like they are, we all thought the defense was going to carry them. Oh, not we all. I thought the defense was going to carry them to maybe a 10-6 and record, 9-7. and On a good note, if Josh Allen were to play the way he's playing right now, again, I didn't expect it, but, you know, I sat on the off chance, maybe 11-5. and I also don't know their schedule in depth, but to see them come out here and do what they did to the Rams... Nailbiter all the way through. Watch out, man. Josh Allen's proven a lot of people wrong, including myself. So uh, that Bills team is no joke. That defense will figure it out. They have 
too many dominating players and they will again you know with the rust getting shaken off and the consistency of the teams we'll see what happens unfortunately shout out to my man garvey the falcons blew another lead but this is what's interesting about this game here's what fascinates me right the falcons were up once again by maybe 15 or 16 points the bears went on to score 20 points in the fourth to the falcons zero Mitchell Trubisky ends up getting benched in the second half. And who comes in but Big Dick Nick Foles, man. That guy just came in and dominated. He, I mean, 188 yards, three touchdowns, and a pick. Some say the pick may or may not have been his fault. Regardless, it is a turnover. The Bears, unfortunately, ended up losing Tyreek Cohen for the season. Another fantasy player of mine, which is why I brought it up. He tore his ACL. But Nick Foles, man, he was actually announced the starter. Uh, yesterday after this game. So, I mean, the Bears are 3-0, and shockingly enough. Their defense isn't exactly playing up to par that we all the way we all thought. They've had favorable games against the Giants and the Falcons in the last couple of weeks, and I know that, you know, they did what they needed to do in their first week as well. Uh, who did they play their first week? Of course, I'm going to have to look it up now because I can't remember for the life of me. Oh, they did play the Lions. I was right. So they ended up playing the Lions. So, you know, three favorable games. They should be 3-0 and on paper, but the way that they came back, man, Nick Foles just has some magic in him, and I'm going to just touch on something briefly. A lot of people tend to shit on Nick Foles. A lot of people tend to say, if it's not in Philly, it ain't, it ain't for him. A lot of people say he's just the backup. Some of you may be right, but let's go over his career, right? So he starts off in Philly, backing up Michael Vick. Vick gets hurt. He goes out and he does what he needs to do and he scores 27 touchdowns and ends the season with two interceptions, right? Nick Foles ends up getting this super big contract from the Rams. Rams end up doing what they do. But for those of you that are unaware, this sport, this game is revolved around coaching, your staff, the players around you. Nick Foles had the losingest head coach in NFL history at Jeff Fisher. Didn't work out there. Comes back to Philly. What happens in Philly? We all know the story. We all know the magical story of how Carson Wentz gets hurt late in the season. Nick Foles carries them all the way to the Super Bowl. Wins Super Bowl MVP. The very next season, Carson Wentz gets hurt again. So who do we have to rely on? Who do we have to fall back on? Wild card game comes through. Nick Foles leads them down the field. They win that game against Chicago. Alshon Jeffrey drops a pass against the Saints. Who's to say the, the Eagles don't go back to the Super Bowl that year? So Nick does the smart thing. Philly does not re-sign him. They don't opt in to pay him the, the, the money that he wants. He becomes a free agent. Jacksonville pays him a massive contract. Rightfully earned. Both times Nick Foles got paid was because he deserved it. Was it in a Philadelphia system? Absolutely. But it was, in an, it was in an efficient system. The Chip Kelly system, for whatever reason, worked for him, and he succeeded. He cashed in on a payday to go to the Rams. This is back when they were in St. Louis. Didn't pan out between injury and Jeff Fisher's horrible play calling, and, and there's just that dumpster fire of a Rams team back when they were just consistently horrible. And then you go right into the, 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 the second stint with Philly, man, and he just dominated once again. He just, I don't know if it's, Philly itself, or maybe Doug Peterson and Chip Kelly have something in common. Obviously, they don't. Didn't work out in Jacksonville. Embraces collarbone, I believe, week one. Comes back, just doesn't play up to par, and he gets taken over by Gardner Minshew, who is currently still the starter in Jacksonville. He gets traded this offseason to the Bears. Mr. Drabisky is obviously having the struggles that he has. Chicago doesn't pick up his fifth-year rookie option, and Nick Foles is in the quarterback room now, breathing down his neck. Mitchell is having a surprisingly decent season. We all thought he was going to flop pretty early. Mind you, he's not playing phenomenal. He's not playing terrible. But, you know, I guess he made enough mistakes in the Atlanta game for the coaching staff to say, get up out of here. Let's give the big guy a shot. And he dominated. I don't know if Nagy's system is going to work for him. I don't know if Nick Foles is going to be able to dominate on a week-to-week basis. But I am a firm believer in the fact that the man deserves an opportunity now if he goes out there and stinks it up maybe it truly is only meant for him to be successful in Philly maybe Matt Nagy isn't a coach for him maybe he falls into that category of three bad coaches that aren't in Philly I don't know 
But when you have a Super Bowl MVP in your quarterback room and you have a kid that was way high, like way overdrafted, I mean, for him to be the number two overall pick over the quarterback class in which I've repeatedly discussed was too stacked for one year at North Carolina, I I don't know, man. I genuinely think... I think the guy deserves a shot. So, you know, with, with, with that being said, I, I, I'm moving on to the next one, guys, because it, it frustrates me that people are really shitting on the guy. Uh, Patriots-Raiders, I called it. I said it. Pats were going to end up dominating that game. I know they were going to be upset losing a, a nail-biter the week prior to uh, to the Seahawks, and they went out there and did their thing 36-20, to so not a big shock there. <sighs> the, the Philadelphia Eagles... They are, how do I say this? They're a very intriguing team. Again, I watched that entire game throughout its integrity. And Carson Wentz, I don't know, man. I, if you hear this, which you won't, but if you if you do, you got to find a way to wake up, man. You, you really, really, really have to find a way to wake up because my girlfriend's family's getting really pissed off, man. You are missing throws. You are you are throwing balls that you cannot fit into certain windows. You are making high school mistakes. Just blatant, I'm being honest. Like you just you just look terrible. Miles Sanders is doing his job and he's working with a dilapidated offensive line and he's finding ways to make things happen. Look at this. He's averaging over five yards a carry last game and he had ninety five yards. Carson Wentz has forty seven pass attempts. And I want to say a good handful, six or seven maybe even, were just overthrows or just missed targets. One interception, he had Zach Ertz man-to-man, and he threw it inside shoulder instead of a back shoulder. And Zach was on the outside, so I don't know what he thought he was looking at. Their receiving core is just banged up. Their best receiver last game was Greg Ward. A practice squad player, a former quarterback at the University of Houston, Again, I, I like Greg Ward because I saw what he could do last year and I saw a lot of his uh, his tape from the practice squad. And he, he's he's good, he's speedy, he's got hands, he's efficient, I, I like him. They lose Dallas Goddard early in the game. He ends up fracturing his ankle, so he's out for a few weeks. Zach Ertz is doing everything by himself, but we all know he's going to get doubled because he's probably the most dominant player on the offensive side of the ball. Deshaun Jackson pulls a hammy. I laugh about that, not at him. I laugh at the situation because me and Isabel's family were kind of laughing back-to-back weeks of saying, damn, he's made two consecutive weeks without an injury. Is, is it ever going to happen? And, of course, it ends up being the same injury that he's had his whole career, which is the hammy. Deshaun Jackson pulls his hamstring legitimately at least a minimum of twice a year. So, wasn't a big shock. John Hightower, don't know who he is. De- De- Deontay Bur- Burnett. Again, I don't know who he is. Richard Rogers, Richard Rogers, which is the tight end that Aaron Rodgers threw that miracle Hail Mary touchdown in against Detroit in late in one of those Sunday night games. That's the guy that brought the ball down. Yeah, that guy. He's on the team too. So, I mean, if you leave the first two receivers, like I said, Greg Ward had 72 yards, Zach had 70, and the next best receiver was Deontay Burnett with 19 yards, we got a problem. That it's not the defense. It it truthfully and honestly is not the defense. They played a rookie quarterback in Joe Burrow, who I give once again phenomenal credit to. He did have a fumble, but that's because, you know, he he was getting pressured all day long. But again, no interception, three hundred and twelve yards, two touchdowns. Joe Mixon is just not getting any form of anything going because that offensive line is atrocious. 2.9 yards per carry on 17 touches and 49 yards. Just not, it's not working for him. Tyler Boyd is going out there and showing that he's probably the best offensive player on that team. A.J. Green might just be a shell of himself. That or they might just be putting the best corners on each team. Obviously, we know Darius Slay locked him up for 36 total yards. Darius Slay is probably one of the best cornerbacks in football, and I think people need to start respecting him. But that let's get back to that Philly defense, man. Let's not forget. They got Brandon Graham, Derek Barnett, Jalen Mills, uh, Fletcher Cox, Malik Jackson, Darius Slay. They have a stud-filled defense, and they sacked Joe Burrow eight times. So it's not because the defense isn't doing what they need to do. It's the fact that Carson Wentz is just playing like a bum. 
225, a touchdown and two picks. Again, just just a bum. They tied the Cincinnati Bengals, one of the worst teams in the league. And the Eagles are so much better than that. Just, again, showing what a clusterfuck of the NFC East, what it is, or what it isn't, should I say. So I don't know what's going on in Philadelphia. They need to get their shit together. I don't think Jalen Hurts is going to be the right move. I don't think that benching your star is going to help. I don't know if it might light a fire under his ass later in the season, but I don't think benching him right now, like a lot of Philly fans are are, are, are cheering for, you're not going to want a rookie quarterback going out there and trying to fix it all with his legs because we know that he's a very mobile quarterback. We don't know if he's going to transcend well in this offense and run the team any better. So I just I disagree heavily with a lot of fans that I know are kind of cheering for it. I think Carson needs a couple more weeks. I say give him about two or three. But if he continues to throw these interceptions and have these turnovers, it might be time to pass the reins and maybe look for a, a suitable trade uh, location for Carson because they got to pay him a lot of money in the next two to three years. And if he's going to play like this, then Philly might have to look elsewhere, man. And that's about it. I mean, the Giants, they lose 36-9 to with the 49ers being depleted of everything. So that just goes to show the dumpster fire that's in New York. I have no idea what's going on there, to be honest. No disrespect again. No, I, I don't really care. Uh, so y'all got to figure that out as them being the hometown team. Uh, the Dolphins ended up beating the Jaguars on Thursday night handedly, 31-13. Ryan Fitzpatrick becomes the first player to beat the same team on six different teams. Yes, he beat the Jaguars as a Bengal, a Bill, a Texan, a Dolphin, a Jet, and a Titan. Yes, I looked that all up off my head, all off the top of the dome, guys, because, you know, that's what I do. But, I mean, that's your week three recap, guys. I, I just, uh, it's ha- I'm happy to have football back. I'm ecstatic. I love going over these stat lines. I love going over these games. It is so much fun to talk about it with you guys. Obviously, you know, I'm not really getting feedback back because I'm talking to myself. But to be able to educate anybody that I can or, you know, give somebody a little bit of insight on a game that I thought was special was just so much fun. Uh, actually, some breaking news a couple of hours ago. The Titans and the Minnesota Vikings are canceling practice uh, for the week. The, there were some positive test results in Tennessee's locker room. And the NFL is still planning to have that game play out on Sunday, but with no practice and no access to team facilities. So I don't want to say I told everybody so, but I kind of called week three or week four in one of my early episodes. So, so far I'm right. I don't know if it's going to go all the way through and, you know, cause games to be canceled. But, you know, the NFL has been pretty safe and pretty careful of how they're going about things. So I don't know. Yeah, that's a... That's going to be a very concerning thing to want to monitor for the rest of the league's sake. Because, I mean, if they end up canceling one game, who's to say that, you know, someone else doesn't get sick somewhere else? You know, because they are still traveling in the air. They are still going home. They are still practicing and living their lives, obviously, with safety precautions. But, I mean, like, as long as they're flying and traveling, there are possibilities all over the place. So this is just step one of many. And speaking of step one, or should I say steps, we are at the final conclusion of the NBA season. It has been a long time coming. It has definitely been a weird season with the season getting canned all the way or, you know, halfway through or a little bit more than halfway through. And the finals matchup that I know everybody predicted, I'm saying that sarcastically, the Los Angeles Lakers versus the Miami Heat, the one seed in the West versus the five seed in the East, the... He ended up winning that series in six, called it. The Lakers ended up winning their series in five. I said five or six. So we got Braun versus Jimmy. We have a three-time champion who's playing for a legacy, who's playing for a franchise, who is trying to live up to the name, RIP Kobe. You know, he's trying to live up to that par. And we we, we all know that the Lakers are our favorite. Now, to those Miami fans that I know out here in Florida, there are a lot. I don't want to say that... Ah, fuck it, I'm going to say it. The Lakers are still going to win the finals, in my personal opinion. Come on, man. They're playing out of their mind. The only matchup I see that is favorable is going to end up being Bam versus AD. And I don't say favorable, meaning one side. I just think it's going to be a good matchup. I think Bam 
as I've said multiple times, can guard one through five. He's a very physical defender. He's very efficient offensively. He's nowhere near AD's skill set offensively. But defensively, I mean, the man is out of his mind. So I think that AD is going to have a little bit more of a struggle, and it's going to be more on the role players and Braun to do what they need to do. I think that the Heat have the personnel to rotate on LeBron James and tr- attempt to slow him down. I think that Braun still has numbers like he normally does, and that being anywhere from 25 to 30 uh, points per game. I think that he's going to have anywhere from 6 to 9 assists, if not more, per game. And I think that he's still going to dominate the boards, you know, 8 to 10 rebounds a game. He might average another triple-double in the finals. It wouldn't be the first time we've seen him go up against, you know, a team that plays well on the defensive side of the ball. And it wouldn't be the first time that Braun averages a triple-double in the finals. So, I mean, I'm not going to get too into it because I know for a fact that me and Kyle are going to get into the depths of it tomorrow on his episode. Again, you know, shout-out to the Home Field Podcast. You guys got to listen up and follow him and, you know, try to listen to those episodes. Great content. But um, I do think that the Lakers win this series in six. Uh, A lot of people are saying five. If it goes seven, I would love it. If the Heat pull it off, I would not be surprised because they are just a gritty, gritty and physical team, Jimmy Butler, like he's been saying since the beginning of the bubble, we got some fucking dogs on this team. They've been showing out, and they have really shocked the world. Not that they uh, didn't deserve to win, but I mean, like, they have been playing out of their minds. Tyler Hero, he's doing his thing. You know what I mean? Like, Duncan Robinson, Bam Adebayo, those role players are, are doing what they need to do. Goran Dragic, the unsung hero on that damn fucking team, he's balling out. But, I mean, I just, you know, I'd be happy if either of them won. I really genuinely want to see the Lakers hang up a banner just because of the passing of Kobe. I think it would be a beautiful gesture to show, you know, like they won it for him. They did it for him. I want to see AD get a ring. I really want to see Danny Green get a ring. Or should I say another ring because, you know, he didn't go to UNC. I would love to see JaVale McGee get a ring. Dwight Howard finally get a ring after everything he's been through. But if the Heat win... And Jimmy Butler, in his first year, comes out of left field, stuns the greatest team in the NBA and the Lakers, or the second greatest, depending on who you talk to, after the Bucks lose to the second round. The Lakers are the greatest team in the league right now, and he goes out there and wins. I think that Jimmy Butler automatically jumps on that spectrum of one of the best leaders in basketball, if not in sports, and I say that confidently. That Miami Heat team coming into the season was definitely nowhere near Finals caliber teams. Well, I, I I predicted them to go to the Eastern Conference Finals, but I expected them to lose to the Celtics with that you know coaching staff that is Brad Stevens and the team that is you know has already been there with less with Jason Tatum and now they had Kemba Walker on that team and Gordon Haywood with him doing what he was doing prior to him getting hurt. So I don't think anybody saw them going to the finals. In my personal opinion, again, there's no disrespect. I just I wasn't expecting it. So if they come out and they win, good for Spo, good for Pat Riley, good for that entire organization. Although I do have some bad blood with them for 2006, but what, you know, I'm, Isabel's teaching me you got to let go of some grudges. You feel me? Like I'm trying to be a little bit of a better person. Forgive and forget. I'll never forget. I may forgive. I don't know yet. The, ver- the verdict is still out. But I'm, uh, we're going to talk about one final thing here. And it's probably something that I'm going to get emotionally frustrated with because we are a mere eight minutes away from the New York Yankees wild card debut. The MLB postseason begins today, and the Yankees are playing the Cleveland Indians. Probably the hottest team in baseball going 8-2 and two in their last 10 and having four walk-off wins in a row in the last week. The Yankees, on the opposite side of the spectrum, have gone 2-8, and eight. And have, how do I put this, have been sucking lately. From a 10-game win streak to a 2-8 and eight game fucking skid. Pitching staff looking like garbage. Offense looking like it can't get together. I, I'm nervous. I'm scared and I'm nervous. I'm sorry that I'm, I'm so silent here. It's just a matter of. I'm looking at this lineup right now, and I'm already aggravated because I didn't even I didn't even notice Clint Frazier isn't even in the fucking lineup today, and they have Brett Gardner in left. So I'm already infuriated because there's no reason why Clint should be off of this roster right now. 
like zero. I'm happy to see Kyle Hashigoka is starting with Garrett Cole because of how dominant he's been catching his games and how terrible Gary Sanchez is as a baseball player. And this season kind of just sums up the fact that I've said he fucking sucks and that our priority this offseason needs to either be trading him after we sign DJ and Judge and trading Stanton because I'm tired of the nonsense and I'm not even going to get into that again because my blood's already boiling. So it's a three-game series, Cleveland being the four seed, the Yankees being the five. So it's going to go Cleveland, New York, and then back to Cleveland. So I hate to say it, but I have to because I need to be unbiased. I think we win this game, but I think that Cleveland takes the next two. And the only reason I say we win this game is because in the previous games that Hashigoka has caught Cole, it's been pretty lights out. And, you know, we, we tend to find a way to dominate Cleveland in the postseason. But, I mean, this, this, this Cleveland team is not the same. Their starting pitcher is actually competing for the, sign young, for the Cy Young in Shane Bieber. He's dominated, and he leads almost every MLB category for pitching. Whip, ERA, strikeouts, wins. Almost, I, think, I think wins. I could be wrong. Shout out to Jake Dunbar for being the true and only Cleveland Indians fan that I know through and through. Um, Frankie Lindor out there, Jose Ramirez, just for a few names out there that everybody's aware of. Those two players are my immediate. We need to watch. But, I mean, as a whole, this Cleveland team has, my God, they have been playing out of this world because they are just, they're hot. I've said it since the dawn of time of my birth, since I've actually understood the sport of baseball. The hottest teams always find a way to win in the postseason. It's a fact we are two and eight. The Indians are eight and two, coming off of four straight walkoffs. I just I can't comprehend how bad this Yankees team has been playing right now. I really don't understand the offense alone. I would have never expected to struggle as much as it did. And the sad part is, DJ LeMahieu won the batting title, and Luke Voigt won the Major League Home Run uh, title this year. And the last ten games were struggling this bad. I mean, sure, we're getting on base, but we're not capitalizing. How do I how do I even comprehend what has been going on for the Yankees this season? I mean, what we started off with injuries and then we follow up with with struggling. I mean, we lost to the Marlins for God's sake. I can't understand. We go from the 10 game skid, like I said, the 10 game win streak, right? We lose to the Red Sox in their final game of that series. And then we go on and we lose to the Blue Jays the following night, 11 to 5. And we go out the next game right after that, right? The very next day on that Tuesday, we win 12 to 1. I was like, all right, cool. We had a two game skate. We were just so hot. Maybe we got tired. I said, you know what? It's all right. We're going to be straight, right? No. So we end up right then and there losing to the Blue Jays again, 14 to 1. Losing to the Blue Jays again, 4 to 1. Losing to the Marlins, four to three, losing, and then we beat the Marlins one night, four to eleven, and then we lose to finale five to zero. So I may have actually gotten this wrong, right? So in our last ten, which was, hold on, I'm doing math, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. So in our last eight games, excuse me, prior to the ten game, in our last eight games, we have won a total of one, two. So we went two and six. I was off by two. But we, we weren't putting any points up. We get shut out in our final game. We score 11 runs in one. And then against the Marlins, we lose a nail-biter in, in, in extra innings. It's, I think, the 10th or the 11th. And we lose 4-3. to three. And then the Blue Jays, our bullpen completely falls apart in our starting rotation as well. 14-1. to one. And we just can't score runs. I don't know what the fuck's going on. But, yo, all I know is it starts tonight, the road to 28 tonight. So we forget the entire regular season. The Yankees are on a mission to dominate the MLB, whether that's this season or next. And we are out for redemption. And we are out to dominate and win a 28th World Series championship. I don't give a shit what anybody says. I'm tired of the doubt. Obviously, I'm, I'm, I'm doubting us now. And I'm statistically favoring the Indians only because of our recent performance as a neutral sports caster, as someone who's trying to make a living out of this. I'm looking at it objectively. Yes, we may have a better lineup on paper. But over the last eight games, 
I genuinely do not see it possible for the Yankees to go and win against the hottest team in baseball going into the postseason. I don't. The only reason I say we win tonight is because of Cole. That's it. Genuinely because of Cole. I don't know if Cole goes seven. I don't know if he goes eight. It really depends how it starts. But it's the point of the matter. I have the Yankees losing this series two to one, unfortunately. And this offseason we go into it and we just we just either start fucking cutting heads or we we go out there and we dominate this postseason and we carry it all the way through. With this sixteen game postseason, who the fuck knows what's gonna happen? Or sixteen team, excuse me. But it starts tonight. We don't play no games. We go out there and we give Cole some run support and hopefully that transcends into the rest of the season. If we can go out there and we can knock out a Cy Young candidate and Shane Bieber, I think that we can dominate the rest of their rotation. I think if Masahiro Tanaka takes the mound, he is a different pitcher in the postseason. I think we'll be fine against Clevenger. No, Clevenger actually got traded. Oh, shit. I forgot about that. So who's next for them? Who's their rotation? I don't even remember. I know it's three right-handers. I think it's... I, oh, my God. What is the... What is his name? In uh, He's Hispanic. I know that much. I just... I can't remember their pitching. Their pitching staff is what upsets me. Oh, my God. It's going to piss me off. Indians. Pitchers. Pitching rotation. There we go. It is... Well, there you go. Carlos Carrasco. So, he's pitching the next game. And we all know he's dominant with his off-speed as well. So, I mean, I don't know, honestly, what's going to happen. I am hoping for the best, like I've said a hundred times in this last couple of minutes. But, I mean, we'll see. I'm hoping that the Yankees find a way to hit Bieber tonight. I'm really hoping that... Our our pitching staff can hold up after Cole, but who knows? Because I sure as hell don't. Um, shout out to the Tampa Bay Lightning for winning the Stanley Cup final against the Dallas Stars in a best of what was it? Best of seven. I think they won this series four to two. So I mean, the NHL season is now completed. The Rangers have the number one pick going into this off season. Hopefully, we figure out what the fuck we're doing over there. If hockey were more consistent in my mind. Maybe I'd talk about it more, but for whatever reason, I just can't get into it unless it's the postseason. And the Rangers went out and they got annihilated in their postseason berth. So that kind of sucked. But that's it for me, guys. Uh, I believe my stat fact of the day was something a little bit more interesting. Um, I'm actually digging it up right now. I always bury them in my tweets. It's bookmarked somewhere. Oh, so it's about the Colts. So Darius Leonard, prior to this game, has more tackles than any other player in their first 30 career games since 1987 and 300 tackles. Mind you, Darius Leonard missed about four games in the last two years, so it would have been more. Um, He's got more interceptions than any linebacker since 2018, seven, and he's got more sacks than any inside linebacker since 2018 as well with 12. Let, Let that sink. And let that really get into your heads as people know how many dominant defensive players there have been in this league over the last 30 years. And he's doing it with the Indianapolis Colts. And again, like I had stated earlier, the Colts have the best overall defense in the NFL. Yes, we played the Jets, so you know maybe some padded stats. But still, like I repeated friggin' 18 times, you do what you need to do against bullshit teams like the Jets. You dominate and you crush their hope. And that's exactly what we did. So I'm not going to go out there and repeat what I said last week and say that I'm going to make another episode this weekend. But I do know that I am making one tomorrow with Kyle. So, you know, tune in to my podcast streaming tomorrow at 8 in the morning. For those of you that are listening, good morning. I appreciate it. I really thank you. And then to those of you that are not aware, Kyle's podcast is called the Home Field Podcast which will be airing tomorrow night, I believe, and that will be his fourth episode. So I hope you guys have a great day, a great rest of your week. Let's go Yankees, and uh, let's pray for the best, because by the time I come back next week, the series might be over. Because if obviously game one is tonight, and there's only three games, that means game two would probably be Thursday or Friday, and the next game would be Monday or Tuesday. So... Crossing my fingers. Let's see how these NBA finals pan out. And let's see what happens with the NFL and COVID in uh, week four. 
Again, I want to appreciate. I want to shout out and. I want to shout out everybody that's been a loyal, you know, listener, loyal fan, people that have supported me. I really do appreciate you guys. And with that being said, man, y'all have a good one, man. See y'all next week. Hey, it's Tim from 50 Years of Music with 50-Year-Old White Guys, the comedy podcast you had no idea you needed. Join Ben, Jeff, and me as we continue our musical road trip back through the years and around the globe. See, just when you thought all white guys were like Joe Rogan, you come across three educators trying to remember when we were cool. 50 Years of Music with 50-Year-Old White Guys. Welcome to Transforming 45, the podcast that celebrates the incredible power of passionate voices. I'm your host, Lisa Boat. Join me in conversation with heart-led humans who share their deeply personal stories of transformation. Transforming 45 is here to uplift, connect, and remind you that it's never too late to write your next chapter. So get ready to be inspired, empowered, and transformed. Join me in this community where through powerful storytelling, we heal and reclaim our inherent magic. Electric acid.